you took under outfit from 50k per week to a million per week in a yeah. matter of like 12 months how the hell did you do that i i would say 20x growth in less than 20 months is a fair way of putting it yeah which is a lot so yeah i mean it was a lot of fun um i mean i think like if the idea is like well what is the secret sauce to do it like i don't know that there's a one single best thing that made it happen but i will say like if there if i had to focus on three primary things the first one was focusing on what made the business work um i think most people try like oh i can make money here i can make money here i can make money here and they look back and like, oh, I'm making a nickel on a dollar here. I'm making a dime here. I'm making a quarter over there, but I'm making money everywhere. I should just keep doing it. But really like, if you can make a quarter or you can make a nickel, every time you make a nickel, it costs you 20 cents. Not only that, but like in Facebook, where it's a machine learning environment, where the machine is learning how to do a job. If you focus all of that effort on doing one job really well, it's going to get better and better at it. Just like, you know, if you're a barista and you're making lattes and mocha frappes or whatever, and then someone's like, oh, also now you have to make sandwiches. Like you're not going to be good at both. Right. And, and so my point to that is find out what you can do best or find out what's best for your business. And then ultimately make the machine focus on learning how to do that job as best as you can. So, Really, the first step of that was figuring out what was the best offer for the business model. It wasn't the highest AOV. It wasn't the product with the best LTV right away. It wasn't the product. Like, there are so many things that people say, this is the product you should focus on. What we did was we took a look at it and said, this is the product I can afford to get a lot of sales on a day. So the CPA was low enough for us to get a decent volume. Because every transaction is a new data point that makes you better. And this is a product where more likely than most other products, when somebody buys this, they're going to buy again. And not only that, we have a good idea of when they're likely to buy that second time. And I think there's this really, there's a, a very common thread of selfish myopathy uh looking at the way you look at business results inside of your facebook ad account or performance marketer where you look at well what's my ROAS how much money to make on the money I spent today but that doesn't matter business isn't about day-to-day -day profits this business is about future cash flow at a profit you can't scale a brand in 30 45 60 90 120 days if you only make money once because if you don't know where the next money's coming from, you're gonna live and die by how you did every day. You're, you're a salesperson, you're not a business. And there's a big difference between like having a product and having a brand, right? Between being a salesperson making one transaction versus having a business where you create customer journeys. And so when we focused on, this is the item that has, for what it's worth, not the best AOV, and not the cheapest to sell, but really solid. Uh, and we can get a lot of volume on it. And we know that this is more likely than other things to lead to second and third purchases. And that way we knew that what we call PSM, lifetime value divided by the sum of CPA and COGS, times frequency of purchases. Like we know if somebody buys this, we know what the future cash flow looks like. Which means when you're spending money, on Facebook ads, what you're doing is you're amplifying a business model. If that business model says, I know how much money I'm going to get today and how much money I'm going to get in 30 days, 45 days, 90 days, whatever it happens to be, well, now I can evaluate what I'm spending today based on the future value of that money, if that makes sense. So it's not, I spent a dollar and I made a dollar 25. It's I spent a dollar and in the next 30 to 45 days, I'm going to get this money here, this money here, and maybe this money here. Now I can start to plan for future costs. I can start to plan for inventory. 
And when I focus the machine on doing just that job, it's going to get better at it. So I'm going to reach higher quality people more often for lower price. And more importantly, I can start to work on the business model around that offer to improve the second purchase rate, to improve the LTV, to improve the AOV, so that like my landing page tests continue to compound in value. My email flows continue to compound in value as I test them. My one-click upsells, all my offer construction, I can say, this is how I make money. I'm gonna make this thing work better. I have other things that I sell, but this is what I'm spending my money on to grow the business because I know with greater certainty than anything else, how this is gonna impact my bank account in the future. So that was a big shift. Um, and to be fair, like the business wasn't that old when I came on board. I don't think there was a focus on that. And I also don't think there's enough volume to know what that looked like. Like if you're in business for three months, six months, you might not know what a nine month cash flow projection looks like because you literally haven't been in business for that long. But I think that was point number one, was really figuring out if we're going to spend money to make money, what is the single best investment we can make so that we can start to centralize all of our efforts around that? And uh, to be fair, I did the same thing with 310 Nutrition. We went from 18 million to like 100 million in 15, 20 months. Um, I I've done that over and over again. And I think that that's one of the biggest liabilities most performance marketers bring to the table um, like when you hire an ad agency that's trying a bunch of offers, like the biggest, one of the biggest risks that they bring and why they destroy more clients than they help is because they're not focused on how the business's bank account looks. Like they're not looking at cash flow and cash flow is the number one most important thing. Now, so I, I think I have, I have yeah. a question there because you, first of all, you mentioned a that the business model has a lot to do with your success with Under Outfit, right? Sure. So let's say that I'm a small business right now trying to grow. How will I go about the metrics that I have to know in order to put my business in a position to scale? Yeah, I mean, the key metric that I look at when analyzing any business opportunity is a metric called Profitable Scaling Margin or PSM. And basically, it's what's the lifetime value of my customer divided by the sum of or divided by this other equation, which is cost per acquisition, cost to produce the goods, and how often does somebody buy it? So, for instance, if I know it costs me 10 bucks to make a product and it costs me $40 to sell that product. And the average person buys two and a half times. Well, it's 10 plus 40, that's 50 times two and a half, that's a buck 25. If I know that customer's worth $200, well, now I know every time I spend 125 bucks, I'm going to make $200. And I know when that future money is coming. Now, if I'm a young company, a lot of people say, well, I'm young. I don't have LTV. I don't know what it is. My response is that's complete nonsense. If you want to know your LTV, it's really simple. What is your total revenue divided by your total customers? That's your total LTV. If you don't have a more sophisticated number than that, that's a completely accurate way of looking at things. And then you can just simply say, okay, great. Now, what product do, when somebody buys this product, what's the product that most likely lends itself to somebody buying a second time? If I start to sell that product, more than likely my future cash flow is going to look better because a higher percentage of the money I spend today is not only going to bring me money back, but also going to bring more of its friends in the future. And I know when they're going to stop by and present themselves. So I can start to predict and project and plan for 20 days, 30 days, 40, 90, whatever it is. But I think that's the thing that most people need to start focusing on, even if you're brand new. If you have three products or a hundred is if you look at that equation that ultimately tells you how much more money could you spend per acquisition of a transaction in your business? Uh, 
And if it's 5% or it's 105%, now you have a very good idea of how much more money you could spend on an average basis. So say it's my PSM is a 1.1. I know I could spend 5% more tomorrow. And if I make zero extra sales with that added spend, I'm still profitable. And odds are, if you spend an extra 5% every day, you're probably going to see at least one extra sale. And you'll get better and better at maximizing the volume of that opportunity. Um, and for what it's worth, as you improve it, that number should get better and help you scale more. Like when we started, I think it was like a 1.3. And by the time it was at like a million, it was like over a two. Like every dollar we spent was worth $2, which is just crazy wow that's super interesting i want you to explain how because you said that in order to get to this point you need to identify this let's call it a hero product yeah is the most likely to get the second purchase mm -hmm. in that customer journey so how yeah. i'm a brand right now listening to this how will i go about identifying this product in my store well, there are a lot of fancy pieces of software you can pay a lot of money for. There's Lifetimely. You can you can get somebody, a great CPA to analyze all of your receipts. That'll totally work. You want to do it for free. Um, the easiest way is to take a look at the receipts. Like if you if you have WooCommerce or Shopify or something, you know it's a new customer versus a returning customer. Awesome. Let me identify all the people that are returning customers. Let me now isolate just what they bought on their first transaction. That could be like a CSV, just like a list. Let me put that into a word cloud. What's the biggest word? That's your most commonly selling product on a new customer that turns into a second purchase. I mean, hopefully it's not large or like red, like you have to take some of those things out. You know what I mean? But in under outfits case, is it bra? Is it cami? Is it panties? Whatever it is, right? If it's a dog, if it's a dog, is it, you know, is it dog food? Is it, is it a treat? Is it, you know, peanut butter, whatever it is, right? Done that with businesses over and over again. But that's something where like, you could legitimately do that really, really fast. And now you're basically saying of all the people that bought multiple times, what was the most common thing bought the first time? You don't need to be any good at math to understand that that's probably the best thing. That's the thing that most heavily indexes to a second purchase. So just start focusing on that. If you are a nerd and you've got more things, you can dive deeper, but like probably 80% of folks, that's probably the simplest way to get started. Right. And I, I feel like there's so many brands that completely ignore what you're saying right now. And a hundred percent. And I think fashion brands specifically are the ones yeah. that the most, right? So how, like, what, what will you do? What will you tell a fashion brand right now that is just starting out or even, you know, in, at a point where they're making 50 K per month, and they feel like they need to advertise every single product in the store. Maybe they're not selling this product or this or that other product that they want to sell more. And they may be a little bit romantic about their products. What will you tell them in order to scale their brand? Yeah, generally, I would, I would go in two ways. One, if they're really financially motivated, like if they're good with numbers, I'll say... All right, if we know, looking at this number, that this is the most commonly bought product that brings in a second purchase. Okay, and you're telling me you got a lot of products. Got it. Are you spending enough money right now that you can't, that you're gonna sell out of this number one product and you need to support a second one? Most often the answer to that is no. Like if you're making 50K a month, you're probably spending 500 to $1,000 a day Maybe you're making 10, 15, 20 sales. 
So if you're making 300 to 500 sales of an item, do you not have the inventory to support that? I mean, if that's the case, that's another issue. But I think so many people avoid the fact that like they think they need to be focusing on new areas of opportunity, but they're not even taking advantage of the best opportunity that they have. So in that way, it's really easy to say, you have 2,000 of these in stock. Right now, you're selling 500 a month. That's like, that's your, your ad spend will support the sale of 500 to 600 a month. Why are you promoting anything else? <laughs> like everything else you promote makes you lose money. So you're going to work harder to make less money to make sure the machine is dumber and add cost on, on warehousing and inventory. You're basically making sure that you are going the extra mile to make success far more difficult. That makes no sense. Like that is, I, I get it from the owner's perspective of wanting to highlight everything, but from a numbers perspective, you don't have the luxury of needing to worry about that. From if they're not numbers motivated or if they're not like really hip to like Excel and finances and stuff like that, then a lot of what I try to tell folks is like, what is the brand? Like, how do you make money, right? Like, what is the thing that makes this interesting? And the number one example I give, especially in apparel is like, I tell people, you don't need to promote all of your offers to sell them. The Jordans make up a fraction, a very minuscule fraction of Nike's overall revenue, but they're probably the most commonly promoted offer it gets you in the store so what gets the right customer's attention to come into your store and then let the store sell them everything else if it's not the thing that they want and if you can start to focus around identity and building around that way then brands start to become a brand and when you have a brand you can build a moat and and ultimately get repeating customers and generally, I find that looking at it in one of those two ways answers the question for like 85, 90% of people. There are a few folks that are incredibly insistent on doing more than that. Um, but you don't need more than that to get to a million a month in revenue. A million. And if you're at 500, if you're at 50K a month, like getting to a million is like game changing. And why make that any more difficult than it needs to be? You know, I think I remember when I was working in an agency that one of my friends had a client. This is, this is a true story. She had a client and it was a fashion brand. The, the client was making around 100K per month. And they were solid. And I remember we would go over the ad account and I was looking at the ads I noticed that there was this ad that was absolutely crushing it, right? It was winning by far. And the, the ad was promoting a product that was completely sold out. And it, it was still the winning ad, even though they had not been selling that product for months already. And that was basically the ad that took people to the store to buy other products. And that is exactly yeah. what right? Oh, no, I love that. Like, I, I mean, I, I've run a Black Friday ad up until like like March or May. Like, if it works, who cares? Like, what is advertising? And I feel like this is a question most people get wrong. Advertising is ultimately buying or earning attention that you can predictably monetize. Like, that's advertising. So this product sold out, but you're now in my store. Great. If I'm making money, who cares? Like, I, like there's a typo. I don't care. We're sold out of it. Don't care. We stopped selling it three years ago. I don't care. Are we making money? Awesome. Let's solve another problem. Like, that's amazing. And I love that story. And I'll bet you there's a thousand accounts out of a thousand and one where something like that is happening 
where somebody just turned an ad off because somebody in the business said, oh, we can't support this. Let's turn it off. And it was objectively better for the business than at least one other ad running in that ad account. And basically, by doing the right thing, they decided to make way less money. And if you're not thinking about it in numbers, if you're not thinking about it in money, then you're not thinking about it like a business owner. And you should be mindful of the business if you're a business owner. And Which, not yeah. only, you know, not only they're seeing the numbers, right? They're seeing that it's working. But what drives me crazy is that I will hear a lot of people being like, oh, but haven't, haven't you seen the comments? Yes, the comments may be saying it is sold out. We cannot buy this product, but still working a lot, right? It's still yeah. winning ad. It's still the reason why you're at 100K per month, right? For that. Company. Yeah. And yeah. When somebody says, have you seen the comments? I'm like, yeah. Have you seen the bank account? Done. <laughs> 100%. And like, if that's not a good enough answer, then I mean, I don't know what to tell you, but like, Otherwise, you're just running ads to feel good about yourself. But ultimately, the reason you're investing money is to make a profit. Or you're just a charity. And hey, look, nothing wrong with charity, but don't be upset when your business goes out because you decided what we're going to do is waste a lot of money. Like that. Don't be surprised when things are hard. Exactly. So, Charlie, why? You're saying that, especially for fashion brand, apparel brands, right? Yeah. One product is going to do a heavy lift here, right? And most, you know, from what I've seen in my experience with my clients and in my experience in marketing, it's almost always that it's one ad that's going to do the heavy lifting. And sure. by heavy lifting, I mean like probably 80% or more of, of the revenue. So yeah. How did, how did the ad account change when you enter under outfit? Like, what do you see in the ad account? What changes do you start implementing to start applying this method? Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing, like we were talking about before is like finding the one piece. And so that brings us to the second part of it, which is now focusing the machine at doing the one task of greatest value. And so here it was, go from however many products we're promoting down to making sure that over 90% of every penny that was spent was on one best like offer. In our case, it was a comfort shaping bra. Um, and when you start to use dynamic creatives to leverage Facebook's machine learning and AI, and you start to use broad targeting, so you're not paying extra to make sure that the best people don't see your ad. When you start to treat Facebook like a business partner who you respect, instead of um, somebody that you decided to go into business with that has told you exactly what they need, that you're in a relationship with where you give them a lot of money and you don't see the results you want to like curse them constantly, even though your best operating procedure is to completely disrespect everything they've ever said. Um, you start to work through if an ad gets spend in a CBO and DCT environment abroad, it's meeting Facebook's business objectives. Facebook marketing is as simple as two things. Facebook wants attention. You want money. If earning attention brings you money, you're doing a good job. If it doesn't, it's not good. Anything you do to get in the way of that is counterproductive. So when we simplified the ad account down to the one primary thing, I mean, we're running some other stuff, you know, like just trying stuff, right? And we focused on dynamic creatives to just give, let Facebook pick the best thing. It wasn't the first ad out of the gate, but like a couple weeks, a couple months in, we happened to have an ad that for whatever reason seemed to hit. And over like the next two or three months, that one ad spent like $2 million. I think it was like 1.8 million 
on one ad. And when we started, we were making less than 1.8 million like a month. And we were able to spend 1.8 million on that one specific ad over the next like 90 days. And the brand just scaled massively because of it. And the point is that ad, honestly, too, for what it's worth, was like made in the slideshow editor on Facebook. It was nothing other than like, uh, like a video version of a carousel of static images. Like, and it wasn't luck though that got us there. It was every step of that had been tested. Like, what are the right pictures? What are the right, you know, headlines? What are the right words that make people interested? And it was iterative testing, moving closer and closer. And then just something stuck. And honestly, the reason it stuck might have been luck. Maybe somebody happened to say, oh, you know what? This product is great. And then the next person five minutes later said, yeah, it is great. And I got my product in two days because the shipping is awesome. And then the next person said, yeah, and their customer service is great. And just that day, it happened to hit the right like couple thousand people or whatever. And the comments just started to stack up and the thing just took off. The point is you can't control that. But that luck happens because you are prioritizing the user experience and the machine to deliver the ads to the right people. If you're using audiences or promoting a bunch of offers or trying to do individual posts over and over and over again to try to get lucky, you're, the likelihood of you hitting that goal is a fraction. It's so exponentially smaller than saying, hey, Facebook, we're going to let you do whatever you want with this stuff. And as long as you spend and our bank account goes up, we're great. And we're just going to do everything we possibly can to make you happier and happier. And as a result, our bank account's going to get better and better. It's not a question of if. It's just a question of time. Like, how long will it take for you to get to that ad? In my experience, it generally doesn't take more than a couple months to get to some ad that fundamentally changes the entire landscape. And also, it's not about how many ads you test. It has nothing to do with the volume of ads. It has everything to do with the volume of data Facebook gets to know who to show your content to. And I'm wholly convinced that literally any ad that you build could be that ad that you can spend a couple million dollars on. The reason that in a different bit, in a different world, in a bizarro universe, you know, that one ad could spend 10 million, but in you, it spends a thousand dollars and doesn't work is because you didn't invest and in getting Facebook to be smart and understand who to show that ad to. So the really enthusiastic and engaged users didn't see that ad often enough to engage with it in a way that made other people excited. And you forced your opinion onto a platform that doesn't care about your opinion at all. Um, you were running Facebook like it was Google in 2013. Like if you're still using audiences and cost caps and bidding models and trying to hack all of this stuff, that is that is a decades old best practice for a completely different platform. And those people generally don't get that winning thing. Occasionally they do, but if you use the Facebook system, the, the, the platform properly, if you use Facebook properly, the likelihood of you hitting that is basically 100%. It's just a matter of doing it enough and prioritizing it. So, and again, like I've seen the ugliest ads in the world be the absolute best. Like I, I, I paid a Kardashian a hundred thousand dollars for an ad and I had it getting, I had it got beat by the receptionist taking a picture in the kitchen when I was working at 310 Nutrition. Receptionist picture made us $10 million. Kardashian cost me a hundred grand to get Chris Jenner to take a picture, probably lost $85,000. Like you have no control over what's going on. So the things you need to do is let the thing that has control have the best opportunity to, to, to be successful for you. So you said a couple of things that is, that I think is, it's really interesting, but it may be good clarifying, which is you said, maybe we don't have to test 
volume of creatives, right? But with time, on the other hand, we are going to get lucky, quote unquote lucky, because we're using machine learning to put data on these ads. Yeah. How, I mean, yeah. So if, for example, if, if I'm a brand right now, listen to this, let's say that I have, you know, the typical three campaigns in my ad account, right? And in each campaign, I maybe have, I maybe have couple ad sets in each campaign. And in each ad set, I have multiple ads. So already there, there's a lot of, a lot of places where my spend is going, right? Yeah. So in my mind, I'm thinking, hey, I need to find that creative that I'm, that's gonna take me to the next level. I need yeah. to test more. I need to just test more and test more and test more. What will you tell that person so that you can take them to the next level? Yeah, I think two things. One, I understand why you're doing that. You're just saying, hey, as long as I launch new ads, my results get good and I'll just keep need needing to launch new ads. Because when you launch a new ad, the first couple of days are good. I would say, and this is completely inaccurate, but the seventh most common question I ever get asked, completely not true, but who knows? I haven't done the math on how many, how often I get asked questions, but it's like, why do my results look great for the first few days and then die off? And it's like, well, because the new ad, Facebook's going to push it out to people. The problem is, if your entire business is built on that initial rush, it's not sustainable. So your, your frame of mind, that frame of reference comes from the wrong place. And where it comes from is, there's a lot of people that started advertising like 2016, 2018, they got really good. And they realized they were being underpaid and overworked and undervalued by their employees. So their employers, so they started their own ad agency. And then they hired their friends and repeated the cycle of abuse. And were generations deep of people being overworked, poorly trained and underpaid to like make an ad agency work. Cause it's a high margin, low, uh, you know, and, and low cost business, right? Which is great for business model. The point of it is, the best thinking hasn't really evolved. And at the time, 2016, the people that were coming up were being trained by folks who were great at CRO and email and search and display and programmatic advertising, where this is absolutely how you should be thinking because distribution of your ads is random. So when you are uh, running something like that, and, and, and you know, 10 years ago when you were running an ad, the reason you needed to target was because it was random distribution inside of that audience. You had no idea who was going to see the ad. It was all about bidding for CPMs and all of that stuff. So what you did is you said, hey, I don't want it to be random. I'm going to try to narrow this randomness down to this one specific audience. And we got affinity audiences and we got act alike audiences. And then like within a year, Facebook had lookalike and interest groups. This was like 2013. Because at the time, Facebook was basically just Google Display. The point is, in 2018, Facebook changed. But the way that people think didn't. And some of the most common and popular thinkers and people that teach how to think about Facebook never learned the lesson that Facebook is not random distribution. It's, and for those that are nerdy, I'm going to get nerdy for a second. It's a game theory economy built on the uh, currency of attention. Basically, people see the stuff they want to see. Attention is earned. So the point of all of this is to say where that testing style comes from is initial, non-scalable, non-projectable results that people chase followed by a methodology that comes that is the etymology of that methodology that's a weird sentence the etymology of that methodology comes from something that isn't how the platform works so you have this execution logic and framework and theory that basically has no bearing on the tool that you're using so it's a very long-winded way of getting to the point but i wanted to give that context for that person that's trying to do it, 
if you know that Facebook is a machine learning algorithm, what are you teaching it? And what priority are you giving on teaching it to do that job better? Anybody can get lucky. Anybody can get lucky a couple of times. The people that are good don't need luck to outperform the lucky people basically every day. So like I said, that ad that got lucky and ended up spending $2 million happened because it sat on top of a mountain of very well-constructed data that's basically just day in, day out, teaching the machine to go after the right people. And then it, what was luck was and completely random was what ad happened to pop off. But the fact that we had an ad that did pop off was completely not random. That is absolutely repeatable and non like that is manufacturable by anybody. So my point to all of this is, and a very like, if I can kind of summarize it, because I know I've gone on like two soliloquies, um, is this. The way to build a successful ad is to give the machine enough data to understand who to show your ads to. A really dumb ad will outperform a really smart ad far more often because a really dumb ad is a lot smarter with the data that it references. An ugly ad will outperform the world's most beautiful video if the ugly ad's sitting on a thousand or ten thousand or million dollars of ad spend and that video launches where basically it has nothing and uh so yeah it's it's preparation and opportunity so and what, then success is just a an output of that math equation what happens if i launch an app right with you know following your premise and it got a couple of sales here and there and then it starts to dip and by the way i'm launching this ad under you know, a broad scenario. So, sure. you know, for the audience, broad means no interests, no specific age, gender, like demographics are completely off. And you just let the algorithm choose who to serve your ad based on the data you serve. So using broad targeting and using your method of dynamic creative testing, Yep. I'm testing a new ad, right? And it got a couple of sales. It's starting to dip. What should I do if it's not performing too well, knowing that it got sales before? Should I turn it off or should I leave it on to have more data? Yeah. Um, first off, if the ad does well or doesn't do well, I don't care. Um, how's the campaign doing? And more importantly, how is your business doing? Because you're spending money there. Right. Um, success and failure, or is not as good or bad, is based purely on attribution. That if it is based purely on attribution, then it's what gets credit as the last touch point. That doesn't matter. Um, and what I'd be more interested in is when that ad earns more spend what happens to my bank account and more importantly if my biggest problem is that when i look at my psm i can afford to spend more money on the acquisition of revenue then i don't have a problem i just need to spend more money like i don't need to optimize my ads and increase my budget like those are two completely separate moves and if you do one you don't do the other because ultimately too if your budget's 100 bucks a day and that ad is great for the first few days and then kind of drops off and then it's spending like five dollars a day or something like that and you're like oh man this ad sucks i'm gonna turn it off but your performance is good what happens when you scale that and it goes to 150 200 500 a thousand a day that ad might actually do really good when you're spending a couple hundred dollars a day because the other ads that are earning all the spend that look really good 
they might not be able to scale with that business. And ultimately, the low-hanging fruit that those ads are really good at converting, there is a law of diminishing returns at how much they can grow. So how much work can an ad do? If I have to do $100 a day of work, one ad might be able to take 80, another ad takes 15, and then the third ad takes five. If I have to do $500 a day of work, one ad might take 300, another might take 150. Well, the other one is still necessary and it might take $50 a day. The point is, in the way that Facebook delivers those ads, if the net result is my blended CPA across my business that goes into my equation of PSM means that I can spend more money, then that ad is doing its job. And the easiest way of looking at it is something I call 4PI analysis. But if your ad has a low budget and a really high CPM, and then you go to breakdown by day and you see the frequency is high and the conversion CPA is great, awesome. That's a, that's a retargeting ad. Oftentimes I'll see ads where the CPM is really low, the daily frequency is really low, and the cost is really high. And Facebook and people are like, why is Facebook spending so much money on this bad ad? Well, because that ad is growing your entire funnel. Top of funnel ad. <laughs> yeah, it's a top of funnel ad. Even at broad, there's prospecting, there's mid funnel, there's bottom funnel. At the end of the day, do you care about how that ad performs on Facebook? If it's bad on Facebook, but you notice that as a result of that ad getting more spend, your bank account goes up because your organic search and your email improves. Well, no, that's a good ad. And But to answer your point of what if that ad doesn't get spent or it starts to perform poorly, I'm not in a rush to try to fix a problem that doesn't exist. If my business is doing well and the biggest liability to my growth is the fact that I'm not spending enough of the margin that I'm making on every dollar that I spend, well, I just need to increase my budget. And the easiest way of looking at this is like, ask yourself each week, can I increase my budget by 5%? If the answer is yes, do it. 5% a week over a year is 3x growth. Now, if you do 5% a couple times a week, you can grow a lot faster. But the point is like, if you're stuck at 500 a day and you want to get to 1500 a day, just spend 5% more next week. And anything that gets in the way of that, remove it. And anything that isn't broken, don't try to go fix it. So my point to all of that is, I think people look at the ads as a source of results. Yeah. And that is so wildly off base. The ad is buying the attention. The source of results is how good you are at monetizing it and how good your business model is at maximizing the value of that monetization. And ultimately, if the ad does spend a lot and your bank account goes down, well, then that ad is bad. And in that case, that's a lot easier to identify than an ad that doesn't spend a lot that looks bad. Like if it doesn't spend a lot and it looks bad, well, if it's not spending a lot, Facebook's already kind of optimizing it out. So what's the problem? Right. Um, so to ask myself this question, if I can spend more money, I don't have a problem that I need to fix with creative testing or optimizing my ads. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I completely agree with that. And more and more, I have been seeing, especially with my clients recently, we've been implementing more approaches where we're not really looking at the ads, right? Where we've been you know all of a sudden a losing ad becomes a winner ad when you change an offer when you yeah. when you create an offer that has scarcity has urgency maybe some guarantees and is extremely valuable to the customer that losing ad became a very profitable and winning ad in the ad account right all of a sudden something that you turned off went from being the bad ad to you know being a really good ad that may be, may be the backbone of your business in the future, right? So yeah, I think the game is far greater than just 
ads and acquisition for that matter, right? And people, when when I when I do audits and when I when I have these calls with clients, I feel like people focus too much on traffic and too much on ads. And yes, traffic is really important. I, I'll, I'm not gonna say that, but there are, first of all, numerous ways of achieving traffic. Paid ads is, Facebook ads especially, is the most expensive way of getting that. Yeah. Right? Now, if you wanna increase traffic, going back to your point, create a business model, create a system that allows your business to spend more to get more traffic. But the majority of the times I see a lot of brands, especially brands making from 10K to maybe even 100K, just focusing on how can I get better ads or how can I yeah. optimize more the ads? How can I do this trick here and there to get the money in day one profit, right? And what you're preaching basically is, no, there's a lot more to that game. There's so many other options that you can focus so that that ad account looks profitable and that you can spend more right yeah i think i think that is something that is probably not spoken too much in the industry and it seems very logical that that's how you were able to come into this fashion brand under outfit and take it to not only the light, the next level, but maybe even four levels after that, you know? Yeah. And, and to be fair, I think what makes brands successful is being run well. Like a good business model is what scales an ad account. An ad account is not what scales a business. And I think if you begin to look at it like that, and you start to focus on like, how can I make the fewest amount of changes to have the greatest amount of stability in the front end of my business? So I have the greatest confidence on the things that I'm doing to improve my business model. If you're testing a bunch of ads, if you're testing a bunch of offers, if you're testing a bunch of audiences, what you're really doing is saying, let me see if I change the type of attention I buy on a dramatically consistent basis. So it's wildly unstable and completely unpredictable and see if that works out well for me. And, and honestly, like investing in wildly unstable and unproven things that depreciate over time is not the path to making money. Path to making money is figure out something that works and then amplify it. And the reason you run Facebook ads is because you found something that works and you're amplifying it. If you don't know what works, fix that before you run your Facebook ads. And I think at least 20, 30% of brands that I see fail on Facebook fail because they ran Facebook ads before they understood how to make money. And that is, uh, that is the kiss of death. Like if you don't know how you make money, then don't run ads. Like my best piece of advice to that is, Take some of your revenue and, in, and your, some of your profits and invest that into ads to amplify however you got that revenue and profits. But you can't skip the revenue and profits part and just expect things to work out. Odds are you're going to fail miserably. And to be fair, it's kind of your fault. Uh and uh, so my hope is that people feel way more confident when they start to run ads because they know this is the one thing I need to run my ads to. This is how much I can afford to spend. If you don't know those numbers, then don't start spending money because you will lose it. I remember you saying, I think you told me once, if you're a brand that only relies on Facebook ads, then you should reconsider your business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like if there's so many brands in that situation that, and maybe even watching this at the, at this moment where they might be realizing, oh shit, I only run Facebook ads. That's my only method of traffic. I'm in deep shit right now. Right? Yeah. I mean, the simple truth is like, if you need your Facebook ads to work for your business to be successful, 
what you have is a bad business. Bottom line, like the success rate of I rely purely on Facebook ads to make money is infinitesimal. Like if you can't make money, don't run ads because all you're doing is you're amplifying your failure by running ads to something that doesn't work. And paying extra money to lose money faster and amplify your failures is not a path to being successful. A hundred percent. I, I think that the majority of these brands, the reason why they're in that position is because they started out that way and they got yeah. the money that way. And the problem is that in order to build this system that we are talking about, it takes a lot of time, you know, building an organic audience takes a lot of time. And a lot of these brands that are just a hundred percent reliant on Facebook ads, which is the, by the way, the most expensive way of acquiring customers in 2023, but at the same time, the, the most scalable for that matter, they were just impatient, impatient, right? To yeah. create the foundations of the business. And yeah. they are seeing the consequences whenever they're in maybe 10K per month, 20K per month, 50K per month. Yeah, no, totally. And I've also seen businesses that are successful that hire ad agencies that don't think about this. They don't think about business fundamentals as a standard operating procedure. And they hire people who basically their business model is, let me get somebody to pay me a lot of money so I can destroy their business. I would say that's the vast majority of ad agencies. Right. And it's unfortunate. And I hope that people realize how easy Facebook is and how fun it can be because you don't need an agency. I would say 40 to 50% of people that hire an agency don't need one. And investing in understanding that knowledge for yourself will save you your future. Because uh, whoever's running your ads should understand how your business works and how to be successful in business. And I would say 90, 98% of Facebook media buyers aren't people that have successfully built and scaled businesses. And they don't know the ramifications of their actions. And to be fair, I think that's a lot of really successful ad agencies. Um, and, you know, I try to call that out whenever I see it. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of folks that look to metrics like ROAS to say how successful they are. Right. <laughs> Instead of saying, when you work with us, your bank account improves. Because what we're doing is trying to amplify your successful business model. And we're working on you as a business success partner. And um, if the people you talk to talk in ROAS, or they're talking about doing a lot of testing, or they don't speak in money, odds are they're a liability to your bottom line. And hiring them will only accelerate the failure that you're probably going to see. And um, every day I get people that like have gone through that over and over again. And uh, so I just try to you know do things like this to try to provide an alternative to paying a lot of money to people that don't care about you so that they can destroy your business. 100%. And look, I, I cannot tell you how much I get into you know, calls with people, you know, consulting calls, sales calls, whatever, with e-commerce brand founders that are just like, you can see it in their face. They're just like tired and they think I'm going to be another guy, another guy that's going to tell them how I'm, I'm going to improve the ROAS or how I'm going to, you know, I don't know, improve the MER or whatever. And, you know, I feel like it's also, you know, yes, it's to agency's faults, of course, uh, a lot of times. But at the same time, going back to the point, I feel like these people 
grew their business with Facebook ads and Facebook ads is like the, the way, like the, the short way of growing, right? If you look at how Gymshark grew, it took like five years for them to start growing to, I don't know, 50 K per, I don't, I don't know if, I don't know the numbers, but you know, it took like a lot of time and this like Ben Francis was going to all these in-person events to, sh to sell the products and going to all these pop-up stores and he was building the foundations, right? These, mm -hmm. these brands don't often build the foundations first. And I look, I, I'm empathetic to these people as well. Like building the foundations is so hard, like building an organic, um, traffic channel is really hard building an audience for maybe you're doing it for personal brand that's super hard maybe you're do, building your email list that's super hard it takes a lot of time it takes a lot of effort but at the, at the same time it's necessary right yeah i mean if you don't do the hard work don't expect to get the good results exactly so and that's i think this comes down to if you were to wrap this all up simply put uh do the hard work or expect to fail a hundred percent I want yeah. to ask some rapid fire questions. Okay. And I wanted to answer in a really short, um, I don't know, short answer. I'm going to ask you, what would you tell someone who is just starting out with e-commerce to grow to maybe, I don't know, 10 K per month from zero to 10 K per month. What is your primary focus right now? uh understand your numbers ltv cost per acquisition cogs purchase cadence figure out the product that people inspires the most secondary purchases and prioritize the acquisition of that sale as efficiently and as high volume as you possibly can literally everything else is a complete distraction and will cost you the future of your business short and sweet so what about going let's say i'm a business founder making 10k per month I don't really know if next month I'm going to, I'm going to be profitable or not, but I'm at least making 10 K per month. I want to go to hundred K per month, 50 to hundred K per month. What will you tell me? Um, it's pretty much the same thing. Like three things. Number one, also time block your time and understand all of the things that are happening in your business and how much they cost and how much money you make. Look at that at your time. Look at that for your employees and look at that for the things that you're spending money on promoting anywhere where that like look at the most profitable investments that are the easiest to scale and focus on those things purely improving your operations is easily the best way to get from six figures to seven there are a lot of things to get from seven to eight and eight to nine but most people that are struggling to get to six or trying to get from six to seven generally it's a misallocation of resources and just fixing that can so dramatically improve your unit economics and so like that is the number one most important thing where are you spending your money where are you spending your time and anywhere that you can outsource for cheaper where you can spend less money than revenue you make do it and anywhere where you're investing that's not the most profitable investment stop Figure that out and success is a lot easier and more fun. Okay. So yeah, it feels like you said that in this stage, there's a lot of tasks that are demanded, but one founder cannot do all of them. So right. outsourcing might be the way out so that you can do and fulfill the tasks needed for you to go to the next level. Now, lastly, I want you to answer what will you do? What do you tell someone who's at 100, 100K, 100 to 500K, wanting to go to a million or what you did with 100 outfit, $4 million. <laughs> yeah, on a monthly revenue. Like, I think at that point, it's really begin to dig into what cash flow looks like for your business and understand your costs. If you can understand how money leaves your bank account, and the easiest way for you to put money in it. Put that, write that down, understand what that is. 
and identify your biggest liabilities and your biggest assets and invest more heavily in your best assets and remove your investment, your biggest liabilities. Like it is not much more complicated than that. The execution of that might look dramatically different for everybody, but almost always what holds people back is they prioritize the things that aren't of the most value and their definition of success isn't nearly as good and they're asking the wrong questions they're valuing the wrong metrics so if you want to make more money figure out where you make money and figure out where you spend it and just improve those unit economics like i know that's a massively oversimplified statement but to give the example of under outfit, there was, let's say a dozen products we were promoting, one was the best. Okay, let's get rid of 10 or 11 of them. And now let's make sure that that thing gets better for us. Well, what do we need to do that? Well, we need better customer service. So we need better, whatever it is, email marketing, whatever it is, so that we can improve what that does for us. Okay, now this is taking a lot of our time, so we can't work on the business. Can we find somebody that we can pay for less money than they'll make for us? Yes. Okay, let's do it. Are they the best? Who cares? It's profitable, and we can go back to spending our time on doing what works. And focusing on that, only fixing what's broken, and taking your biggest challenge and making that thing you focus on fixing first, it's extremely difficult to not get better when you start analyzing your landscape like that. Cool. Sweet. Um, I want to, I want to ask you one last thing. Do we okay. That or uh, yeah, I've got a couple minutes. My wife just came in. So like, I think I uh, should probably go check out what it is, but let me do one more question and then I'll go in and check on her. She was, she doesn't usually bother me. So I didn't get to see her face, but I think she probably has a question that needs to be answered. So let me do one more and then I'm going to go take care of her. Okay. The last one. I just want to know, First of all, um, how how did you get into e-commerce and digital marketing? And where are you going now after, like, what's the future for Charlie? Yeah, uh, the honest is I got into this because, uh, you know, I think I was in a band and I was a radio personality and I was good at promoting myself. Eventually I got good enough promoting myself, people asked me to promote them. Uh, when I moved out to California, quit the radio business, I got a job at a social media ad agency, it's 10 bucks an hour. And I knew that I could kind of do the work on my own. I got some of my own clients. My biggest client fired me because he put a hundred bucks in the Facebook ads and it was, did more for him than what I was charging 2000 a month for. And so I licked my wounds. And then the next day I put my credit card into Facebook and started figuring that out. Within three months, I was running Jamba Juice. And within six months, I was running things for like Jane Silent Bob and Robert Rodriguez. And within nine months, I was a supervisor at Omnicom spending like a million a day. Uh, and that was, you know, 2013, 2014. I think I got lucky at being at the right place at the right time. I also think that what worked well for me was that I focused on what I was doing by putting the bank account of the client first, and that made me a really bad employee at ad agencies. But being a bad employee, I also had the benefit of getting fired a lot. So I got to be the star new employee at a lot of places. So I got to work with the smartest person in a lot of rooms. And it's a path that I don't necessarily recommend for anybody, but ultimately the priority was put upon, how can I provide the most amount of value to what is most important? And how do I do the most good for the least amount of work? And when I figured that out, and when I when I figured that that was the priority, things tended to move really quickly. And I think the biggest gift that I had was realizing when I was five, six years in, it was like 2016, 2017, that 2018 that like I was a lot further than a lot of other people so I made a point of teaching and sharing what I learned with as many other people as possible and as a result I have had every single day in my life for the last six or seven years somebody come in and challenge what I've said present new ideas and make me think critically about it so the amount of reps that I have and creative problem solving and analytical thinking on fixing problems for business development, Facebook ads, like 
that is hours of every day for the better part of a decade. And I think that's an unfair advantage I have, but it was because I put myself in that position. I put myself out there and I was willing to learn. And the future is basically me just trying to pass that on to as many people as I can, because I want people to know that success is absolutely possible. I think the vast majority of people that tell folks how to be successful in digital marketing are dead wrong about basically everything they're talking about. I think the results speak for themselves. And if what I can do is help people create joy and opportunity with their daily life, then that is ultimately me producing more good. And if I can teach more people how to produce that for other individuals, then I'm ultimately doing what I started to do in the first place, which was create as much good as I can by doing the least amount of work and creating the most value, which is basically why I was a bad agency employee. And now, you know, I run Disruptor School and I run Facebook Ads MBA program and I have like a, you know, a YouTube channel and or a lot of them and social media stuff. And like, I just, every single day I go out there and try to do this kind of thing because it's super fun for me. It's what I would do if I didn't have a job. And I would say I've been unemployed for years now and uh, I'm doing okay. And because uh, I, I basically just help other people provide opportunity for themselves and others. And that is a place of privilege and of luck because it was in the right place at the right time. And I said the right things to the right people. And that is not lost on me. And I just try to find places where people are struggling and offer them an easier, simpler way to solve their problems so they can, they can create more good. And I think that um, a lot of people see the, what I do as being disruptive or as being contrarian for being contrarian's sake or ultimately causing harm. And what I will say is this. If me doing my job creates harm to your job, it's probably because your job is to create harm to others. And as long as I can feel confident in saying that, I'm a happy guy.